All right, everybody, welcome back to Wake Up Call. Uh, we have recently started a new era very shortly into the show. Um, we are switching to a weekly format, and you get two different styles of episodes. One is going to be a guest discussion that's coming out next week, and the other is going to be the rant-style episodes where Milda and I get to go back and forth and rant about a topic of our choosing. Uh, yeah, so we took a week off, consolidated things, made sure that we had booked future guests and were able to relaunch the show in this way. Yeah, and we hope that this format suits you better and is more convenient for you so you can listen to these shorter episodes on your way to school, work, or while making food. That's why I always do. I listen to podcasts that way. And yeah, and also we hope to have more interaction in these rants and not just make them like these huge monologues, but also discuss a bit more and debate maybe even because me and Vishwa's uh, like ideologies or opinions do differ a lot of the time. Yeah. So uh, to kick off this new era of our show, Milda, I hear that you have an interesting rant prepared about some recent news. Yes, uh, of course, these are pretty serious news, but this has shaken up the whole world recently. The queen has died. Uh, of course, this was probably expected. She was very old. When I saw the news that she was going to the hospital, I kind of had that thought lingering in my head, but I didn't even want to say it out loud because I guess it's so weird to imagine a world without a queen. Like, where were you when you find out, Nushba? I think that um, I was at school and my dad had texted me and he was like, look, I think the queen is going to die. I've been following the news. You know, she's all her family's gathering around. BBC anchors are like changing into black clothing. Like, I think that I think the queen is about to die or has died already and they haven't announced it yet. Yeah, yeah. My, some of my friends have these crazy reactions. Others are less interested, but I wanted to talk about what has the world and especially the UK been like after the queen's death. Uh, of course, I want to preface this by saying that I am against the monarchy. To this day, I have been trying to find a solid argument for why we need the royal family or why we need the monarchy, like what kind of exclusive benefits does it give to England or any other country? And to this day, I still have not found any. So I hope that today maybe I will find some or I will just share my opinion to you guys. So first of all, a thing that I've been hearing the most as why the queen has been such an important persona to people all around the world is that she was a role model. But I want to also like question this notion on why she was such a role model in the first place and why can't other people take her place? So I feel like when you are born into the royal family, you don't really have much of a choice whether you wanna be there or not. You know, you have to adhere to these very strict standards of perfection and maybe even possibly live a miserable life. But, you know, as the queen, you have to be perfect. You have to be always nice, always sweet, always look perfect and act perfect. So if she was a role model, it was because she was the queen. But I don't know if she necessarily wanted that life or was really enjoying it or what were her motives with that sort of image, right? But also I feel like a nation inevitably, a lot of the times, finds role models because, you know, it's a national symbol or it's just easier to live for people 
in that nation when they have a role model. And if the queen wasn't there, people would find role models inevitably, whether they would be social or political activists like MLK in the US or others, right? So I think the whole argument that the royal family is needed because they're a role model is not as important really in reality. Um, but also, of course, I just want to say that why I'm against the monarchy in general and why I think it's problematic. I think overall having this hierarchical system, as I've been repeating this in every episode and having this sort of elite class of people, I think this is very problematic and a very old way of organizing society. Um, and, and of course, then we get the argument from the other side saying that, look, people have constitutional monarchies to deprive politicians of that symbolic power and limit how important they can be. So I also want to answer this. Um, you know, to me, this is quite ridiculous since like we actually rarely worship politicians in liberal democracies as it is. I feel like we critique them a lot and it is quite hard in a liberal democracy where there's legit elections to make a politician into this godlike figure as the queen, right? But moreover, I feel like if the antidote and like the deterrence mechanism to limit a politician's symbolic power is to put an elitist, insanely rich person in power as a monarch, I think this, this whole thing is quite absurd. Like, I think there are way more and other mechanisms to limit a politician's power to make sure that they're being checked and balanced with certain political incentives or even rules rather than putting a symbolic person and spending so much money to like keep it alive and, and, and sort of keep the image of it, right? Okay, so now that that's that, I, I debunked these two big arguments that I wanted to, I'll move into telling you some things that are, have happened after the queen's death. And of course, this, this was probably expected because like, even when I was a child, I remember my parents used to like tell me stories. Oh, I, you know, when the queen is going to die, the whole world is going to change. The whole TV screens are going to turn black and there's going to be nothing but like news about the queen. And I always was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. But really the, the reaction has been pretty crazy and not only from the media, but also in other spheres of life. So of course, uh, what has been particularly surprising to me, I guess, from the more social side is that people like my acquaintances who probably never even thought about the queen as anything or never even followed politics, of course, felt this emotional bandwagon feeling and started posting them on their IG stories, how much they care about the queen and stuff. To me, this is always absurd. Like, don't act like you care about a dead person when you actually never cared about them when they were alive. But also, even states that were like formerly colonized, like Pakistan, have like dedicated constant coverage of the queen, right? Whose throne, if sold, could single-handedly like end poverty in half a dozen countries, right? And even then, uh, I think what also has happened is after the queen's death, many people said that this is the right moment now to show their opinions of the monarchy. And there, a lot of people are now protesting for a republic, saying that they do not support the monarchy, saying that they do not support the queen and stuff. And the police is literally charging some of these people 
with a fence, right? So I wanted to, to kind of talk more about this because I was reading and actually, apparently for England and Wales, the police is like authorized to arrest people if they think that they may cause harassment, alarm or distress. And to me, this is quite absurd because like offense or distress or harassment are such arbitrary words. Like in this day and age, anyone can tell anything to me and I can tell that they're offending me uh, and this would be seen as a legitimate thing. However, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. People are just extremely sensitive nowadays. Um, but yeah, people are being charged with this. And I think this is horrible because there is a very clear power dynamic here where people cannot even exercise their freedoms, such as the freedom to protest, the freedom of speech, the right to a fair trial, and the police and the government, which have more power, are just basically not letting them show their opinions. And I think this is very unjust. Another thing is that hospitals are canceling appointments for people, even cancer patient, patients, right? This has been absolutely bizarre to me. Uh, of course, the NHS doesn't have a good reputation, uh, but to cancel appointments for people who have life-threatening diseases, for people who wait for those appointments for weeks, if not months, uh, for people who might themselves die if they don't get this appointment, uh, is quite absurd. Like, do we value the queen's life more or a regular person's? I think that the values of the government in this question are extremely clear that they value the queen more than a regular person's life, where we should be actually valuing everyone's life equally. Um, yeah, so cancer just does not follow royal protocol. So I, I, I really hope that the, the UK's government know, knows this. Um, another thing, and this has been stressed in the news also a lot, is that basically after the Queen's death, uh, the government of the UK and its life changes significantly because, for example, the MPs get seven days holiday break. Overall, Parliament is suspended for 10 days. It doesn't work. And there's like two days mandatory recounting memories of the Queen. And I guess this would be fine if the world was living in a quite peaceful time but right now we're living in the time of war in the time of crazy inflation energy housing climate change crises you know in a time where like we really shouldn't be not working in government uh not taking vacations because people are literally dying because they cannot afford to eat every single day so i think a bigger sign of respect would not be taking a vacation when the queen dies but rather actually working for the people who elected you and gave you power in the time where they need you most. And then lastly, uh, I wanted to talk about money uh, and, and sort of weigh how much the Queen's funeral is going to cost and what that money could actually do to help the people that are living in the UK. So it is predicted that $9 million are suspected to be spent on the Queen's funeral. Uh, of course, this already comes amid like skyrocketing costs of living, of food, of basic services. But you have to notice that right now statistics show that over 2 million people in the UK cannot afford to eat 
every single day. So if you would, for example, sell the queen's crown or not spend so much money on her funeral, you could single-handedly help all of these people escape this position. Uh, so once again, this really clearly shows where are the priorities of the government. So this has been my rant. I hope that we, we kind of forget about this godlike persona and stop worshiping people, stop making these cult-like personalities because that is when we really lose our minds and start doing things like this. Thank you. This is, I think this is just honestly the most cogent analysis of of the of the royal family and this whole hysteria surrounding the queen's death that I've heard. I think that the way that you laid laid out like, look, why are we doing all this stupid stuff for an old lady that just died? Like, I mean, the queen, like, personally, she seemed like a lovely lady. Like, I don't think she was a bad person or anything like that. And the people that are sort of, you know, taking joy in her death and are like, oh, you see, she was a colonialist ruler which is like kind of true but like at the same time like she didn't really have that much power but the amount of of mass hysteria in canada they're doing the same thing they're like you know all the mps the other day were like writing reading these like long speeches about how like they're mourning the queen like it's it's honestly look i think the queen seemed like a nice old lady she's you know just like an old grandma or great grandma just an old lady but I don't think she was really much more than that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's also like, you know, the whole scandal with Meghan Markle and the Queen and the racism in the royal family. I don't know how much should we believe the media's whole reportage on this because there were both sides of the story. But she was definitely, you know, a person. She had her flaws. She had her pros. But she was like all of us. And once again, when, you know, I don't think we should be worshipping people or having these royal families because it doesn't lead to anything good. Yeah, I honestly wonder why, um, you know, people in the UK still take this stuff so seriously. Because it seems like the other royal families of, of Europe are far more like low profile, less glitz and glam than than these royals. Like, of course, they're so wealthy aristocrats, but... Am I am I correct? Like I've, I've I don't even know what the Queen of Sweden looks like. I know that Sweden has a Queen, but she's far far more low profile and less showy than than the royals. Yeah, I think even in the Netherlands they have a royal family. But like I literally heard a story that a child of the royal family is going to like a regular university with like some of my acquaintances and stuff. So, you know, this just shows that it's very different. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that we that we do need to talk about is how um I think that I I I can only speak from a, like a perspective of like things around me and things that I'm seeing. But I think had the queen died even 10 15 years ago, there would have been at least a lot more see like most of the grief that i'm seeing is like through me the media or like through social media and i'm sure in england it's it's quite genuine and quite large but in commonwealth countries like canada i'm sure even 10 years ago like you know the the news of the queen's death like everyone would have been super upset like you know the youth would have like cared 
I don't know. It, when when she passed away, it just seemed like oh, sad. Rip Queen. Yeah, perhaps. Like, are are you sensing that sense of ambivalence at all within? I don't know. Not necessarily the media, but within like your own circles. Yeah, I mean, from my side, I feel like definitely many of my friends are simply just apathetic. They don't really care or even think that much about the Queen or the royal family. Uh, others are against the the monarchy, like me. But there's also people that surprise me the most is the people who just the, believe the common narrative of the media that look, there's the queen, we should respect her. But really, they cannot give any any reasoning as to why this is the case. Any any exclusive benefits of the queen being in place. I think that you know when we when we put people on a, on a pedestal, not necessarily because of anything that they've done, but simply because of the status they're born. Isn't this exactly like what we're trying to get rid of as a society? And the fact that like, we're spending so many millions of dollars, like honoring someone that is the very definition of like nepotism is, is being the queen. It's like you are literally, she was literally only the queen, not because of any remarkable abilities of diplomacy or whatever that she had but because her father was a royal. I I don't know. I feel like this is really the idea that we should be getting away from, but for whatever reason are still stuck in. Yeah, and I, I just hope that we do, as time moves on, forget monarchies, especially in these very westernized and modern countries. But I have no idea, like, what kind of changes do we need to actually speak out about this on like a governmental level because I feel like no government official is probably able or authorized to speak bad words about the queen. And the other thing that um, I was um, thinking of as I was uh, going through your rant is that basically like speaking against the queen and advocating like for republicanism and like getting charged for like potential to harass or whatever weird charge uh, that is in England and Wales that's like literally the boomer version of kids these days are so sensitive. Yeah, you know what I exactly. mean. It's like, like you hear all these boomers being like, "Oh, the kids these days are so sensitive. Can't even take the little comedy." Is like, kids are like, "Please, can we not insult gay people?" Yeah, and those kids, <laughs> and then those kids are like, "Oh man, like I don't care. The queen died. She was irrelevant anyway." And then the boomers are like, "Sacrilege." We have to arrest them. Exactly. Or, or or the kids give like three constructive arguments as to why the queen is not good. And that's still considered harassment. Yeah, exactly. Jail for you. Okay. Some, some, some free country. Yeah, exactly. So I also heard that there is a very important person in Canada recently that has started a new... Uh, a new coming of age, I guess. So you maybe you could tell about that in your rant. Yes, um, very different scenario, but a still, in my opinion, a much more relevant scenario, at least in the Canadian context. Uh, you all know that I love talking about Canada and our country recently had some massive news. The Conservative Party of Canada just wrapped up this insane seven month long leadership campaign. Actually, the British Conservative leadership campaign was like nested for like a couple weeks within the Canadian leadership campaign. It's actually ridiculous how long this campaign was. And from the beginning, it was clear that there was only one front runner and there was only going to be one person uh, that wins. 
and uh, the MP for Carlton, which is a neighborhood in Ottawa, uh, named Pierre Poliev, um, was elected the new leader of the Conservative Party on a massive margin. Uh, it was a ranked choice voting, and he won 68% of the first choice votes. Um, so massive mandate. And for anyone that was following the race, it was very clear that this was going to happen. Pierre was widely considered to be the heir apparent of the Conservative Party ever since he was elected as a member of parliament at the young age of 24. In this rant, um, I hope that I can tell you more about Canadian conservatism, who Pierre Poliev is, he may very well be our country's next prime minister, and um, I want to talk about what this election means for the future of Canada, and sort of guide you through what people are saying about his election and, and Poliev. And I'm going to quote Monsieur Poliev here, um, that in order to know where he's coming from, you have to know where he comes from. He makes these like little like two-minute videos where like he explains where he's from and like he's from Calgary and whatnot. So he's was born in 1979 to a teenage mother um, from Saskatchewan who put him up for adoption. His adopting parents were school teachers and Pierre was raised bilingual in French and English, courtesy of his French Canadian dad in an extremely English-speaking part of Canada, which makes him very unique in that way as a bilingual speaker, someone that's both fluent in French and English, but actually isn't from the French-speaking regions of Canada. He was raised, you know, middle class and was very interested in politics from a young age. Uh, he's noted for being a member of the University of Calgary Campus Conservatives. Uh, the University of Calgary is like, considered to be like one of these educational institutions that like breeds uh, the conservative leaders of, of tomorrow. It's like the leading institution for conservative political thought in uh, Canada. And he was part of the reform wing of that party, of that uh, campus conservative group. So I'm just going to get a little bit into what the reform wing means. Basically, in the 90s, there was this sort of split within the Canadian Conservative Party. They were initially called the Progressive Conservative Party, and they were headed by this sort of Montreal, Toronto area, Central Canada sort of uh, elitist sort of, I mean, what was perceived to be like an elitist cabal of like, you know, uppity businessmen like conservatives. The reform wing sort of split off from that and were like the Western Canadian um response to that, basically talking about how they were dissatisfied with current Canadian business conservatism and were like a more populist uprising. So that's the school that Pierre Poiliev hails from. In high school, he was door knocking for conservative political candidates, and eventually he became a staffer for the Reform Party and moved to Ottawa for good, and the rest is basically history. He was elected to Parliament in 2004 at the young age of just 25 and has been an MP since. He was actually one of the finalists in for a $10,000 essay contest where he outlined what he would do if he was Prime Minister of Canada. And his ideas back then, when he was an undergrad, are more or less the same as they are now. Let me read from um, an essay that he wrote as an undergrad. The freedom to earn a living and share the fruits of labor with loved ones. The freedom to build personal property through risk-taking and a strong work ethic the freedom of thought and speech, the freedom to make personal choices, and the collective freedom of citizens to govern their own affairs democratically. That was his vision for Canada. 
Now let me read what he said just a few short months ago from his opening campaign announcement for the CPC leader. Together, we will make Canadians the freest people on earth, with freedom to build a business without red tape or heavy tax, freedom to keep the fruits of your labor and share them with your loved ones and neighbors, freedom from the invisible thief of inflation, freedom to raise your kids with your values, freedom to make your own health and vaccine choices, freedom to speak without fear, and freedom to worship God in your own way. Wow. These are nearly identical, and I think it shows how precise Pierre Poilievre has always been within his ideology. He is the freedom guy. He cares about freedom. He says freedom all the time. That's his campaign slogan, and that's very likely the slogan that he's going to be using when he's running for prime minister whenever the next Canadian election is. Throughout his career, Pierre has not only been incredibly consistent, he has been incredibly partisan. He is aggressive to the point of abrasive, and occasionally this leads to him just being a total jackass and being obtuse and stubborn and just hyper-partisan. This is why conservatives love the guy, because he is the best person in the entire world at getting under the skin of the liberals and Justin Trudeau in particular. Trudeau and him, like, do not get along. I think this was most evident during the We Charity scandal, where he was in charge of questioning the liberal government's, like, conflict of interest contract with the We Charity headed by the Kilberger brothers. He was completely, like, just ruthless and thorough with them. He said, how many dollars did your mother get from the charity, Mr. Trudeau? Just a dollar figure. Just a dollar. It just went completely ham at him. And uh, I think that's where a lot of Canadians started to figure out who this guy really was. Through this attack dog mentality is a man that is, by all accounts, a friend and foes alike, actually incredibly intelligent and well-read. Here's how McLean's magazine described him in one of their profiles. He is highly intelligent, insightful, and reflective when not on display, but snide and reductive when he is. I think this is a perfect description of exactly who Pierre Poiliev is. Really annoying in public, really grating, not my personal cup of tea, but the cup of tea to a lot of conservatives. Um, but behind all that rough exterior is actually a guy that is quite smart and is quite intelligent and actually knows what he's talking about. People that I've spoken to that like have met him in private have said, look, this guy in public, when he's questioning Trudeau, is nothing like the man that, you know, I had an hour-long conversation over coffee with. He's super, you know, humble, relaxed guy. So let's talk about some specifics on his policy. Critics of Poiliev have accused him of running on buzzwords and empty platitudes rather than real policies and have criticized policies that he's put out as at best questionable and like at worst, like really dangerous. And I think this is a fair criticism. By the way, this criticism is directly from, from Justin Trudeau. And I think that Trudeau actually has a point here. Earlier in the camp campaign, before the whole crypto crash happened, he encouraged Canadians to invest in cryptocurrencies as a hedge against inflation. And he appeared on some weird crypto bro podcasts and like started talking about how he like stays up at 3 a.m. watching YouTube videos on crypto and like got into this weird like libertarian tech bro sort of sort of fringe. 
He also said that when he's elected, he would fire the Bank of Canada governor. Um, the grounds for this are really murky at best. He says that the governor did not do enough to stop inflation. And I think this is pretty dangerous rhetoric here because it politicizes one of those institutions that's meant to be nonpartisan. Like the Bank of Canada governor is just a technocrat. He's just controlling interest rates. He's doing what he thinks is best. I'm sure the Bank of Canada has made mistakes. I'm sure they could have responded to inflation earlier. But this isn't some sort of political game that Poiliev can play. And that, to me, is his central problem. He sees everything as a political game between winners and losers. He has this ruthless populist sort of uh, sheen about him. Um, the other small minute detail in the fact that he's saying that he would fire the Bank of Canada governor is that he actually doesn't have the power to do that as prime minister. Um, so yeah, very weird. I think that Poiliev is also quite different from the generic right-wing populace in the sense that he's actually quite radically pro-immigration. Um, that's one of his biggest and most cogent uh, policy platforms is to make it easier to get certification for skilled workers and increasing their pathways to getting work visas and things like that. Canada has a problem where there's a whole bunch of people that have certifications of engineers and doctors in their home countries, but have a really tough time getting that uh, certification to work in Canada. And like one of his biggest things is like making that easier. He's also pro-life, pro-same-sex marriage, et cetera, et cetera. He's not a typical like Christian nationalist or, or anything like that, like these regular right-wing populists are. He's also got this libertarian tinge about him that I sort of alluded to. He's very like pro-low taxes, low spending, deregulation of markets, freedom of speech, um, things like that. He's calling for the defunding of the CBC, which is, um, you know, Canada's national broadcaster, which puts him in a sort of conflict of interest with, um, or at least puts the CBC in a conflict of interest when covering him because they can't possibly be impartial. So let's talk about why he's controversial. Other than his policy platforms, which has been quite thin, um, he's sort of endorsed um, some um, partisan and extremely divisive elements within Canadian culture. For example, the Freedom Convoy, which rallied in Ottawa and went with their big trucks and, you know, sort of blockaded an entire street. Um, this Bank of Canada stuff, the crypto stuff. People think that he's Canada's Trump and he's appealing to the fringe. He went on Jordan Peterson's podcast. He's also just abrasive and rude to people that disagree with him. Recently, he called um, a reporter that was, you know, asking a question out of turn a liberal hack. Um, he ran a scorched earth leadership campaign and basically called all of his fellow candidates like basically fake conservatives and liberals in disguise. He does not care about who he offends and he's absolutely ruthless um, and aggressive. Um, to answer the question, is he Canada's Trump? He absolutely is not. I think that they're just completely incomparable uh, figures. Pierre is very clearly an establishment candidate. He has been in the Conservative Party for a long time. He's been an MP for a long time. Pierre, in contrast to Trump, is like radically pro-immigration and wants to like make immigration easier. As far as like right-wing populists go, Pierre does not even come close, despite what the Canadian media likes to say. I think they're just looking for a good story, to be honest. This doesn't mean that Pierre isn't a problematic person or you can't disagree with the things that he says. 
or that I personally think that he's a great guy and would be a great leader of the country. I, I don't really think that. I just think that we need to be very precise when talking about people. Look, my goal in this uh, rant is, as always, to move commentary in Canada away from these lazy American analogies. Pierre Polyev is not Donald Trump. He's Pierre Polyev. He's doing something that no conservative leader has ever done since former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and that's getting people interested in the Conservative Party of Canada. Will he be Canada's next Prime Minister? Only time will tell. Libertarian tech bro. That is the the <laughs> name that really stuck in my mind. It's really interesting to hear about this, and I'm very happy to learn more about Canadian politics because then you can you know predict and stuff. But yeah. I wanted to. I do have a couple of questions. I feel like uh, I want to get more your opinion on Pierre because when you hear his life story and when you read his little essay and campaign, it is very inspiring because it seems like he did want to be a politician and like help people from when he was very young. So at first I was like, okay, his motives are pretty good. Seems like a good guy. But then when you were talking about his populist traits and all, and he kind of seemed power hungry to me that he really pol politicizes all these issues and is sort of rude to his opponents. So I guess my question to you is, do you think that these sort of traits of Pierre are just the traits you need to have a, as a politician in the system? Or do you think these as like bad traits of him? Um, I personally don't. I think they're pretty bad traits and undesirable. I think that he is a person that is capable of, of being a unifier, but chooses to be a divider and basically like, you know, shore up his base. Uh, that being said, Everyone in the Canadian media that's that's criticizing him for doing these same things is ignoring the fact that Justin Trudeau has made a career of doing the same. Like, I think that these are two pretty bad options if it, when it comes to national unity, uh, the two of them. Trudeau straight up calls people that are against taking vaccines like racists and misogynists. Um, and like refuses to negotiate with 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 any like I, I think I think the reason that Pierre and, and, and Justin dislike each other is they're, they're very much similar people. Um, I don't think it's a particularly, look, I'll, I'll give, I think there's two sides to this because number one, Pierre is divisive when he talks about things like the freedom convoy, when he attacks his opponents, when he does things like that, but he's also such an incredible unifier and has the capacity to do that when he goes on about cost of living and when he talks about inflation he has this ability to be super relatable and he makes these videos where he's like, look, I grew up just like you guys. Yeah, I'm a politician, but I, you know, I had a normal upbringing. Trudeau over there, this guy was raised in a mansion. You know, his dad was a prime minister. Like, yeah, I'm a politician. Yeah, I've always been a politician, but I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my hand. So I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't think that, his divisiveness is necessary. I think he could he could win on just talking about how the liberals are out of touch and he's going to help with inflation. Yeah, so that's kind of your answer led up to my second question because you were talking about how Trudeau and Pierre are quite similar, but I wanted to ask about like is is Canada and Canadian society becoming more conservative 
uh, what's happening in the shift in politics or are the two parties just quite similar actually um i don't think canadian society is becoming more conservative in the traditional sense in the sense that like we're moving towards like more social conservative restrictive abortion blah 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 but i think that canadians are experiencing economic hardship in a way that they haven't in a long time um and the liberal government just seems to be incapable of actually listening to them i think i think the issue that canadians are having now is their choices are a completely out of touch liberal government versus a guy that only knows how to attack people and does not really do a lot of policy building himself. His policy platform is very thin. He's extremely good at going after the liberals for being out of touch and not, you know, producing good outcomes. But he's absolutely terrible at giving ideas of of his own. But I think that the way that he talks about I think the biggest issue in Canada right now is cost of living. The way that he talks about housing, the way that he talks about um inflation and the way that he talks about things like that. He's got all these cute little terms that he comes up with. He calls inflation just inflation because it's Justin Trudeau's fault and Trudeau's not doing anything to stop it. Um, and I think the Canadians are responding to that. They're like, look, dude, Trudeau doesn't seem to be hearing my concerns. I can't feed my family anymore. This guy's at least listening to me, even if he's not producing any ideas of his own. But is like the change of parties a common trait in Canadian politics every election, like in the U.S. or not really? Uh, like the liberals are mostly in power. They like to call themselves the natural governing party because they're sort of in the in the middle. Generally, what happens is the liberals are mostly in power. And every time they screw up and people get fed up with them, um, the conservatives get in power. That's what's happened, you know, historically, because the liberals just can't avoid scandal. Like they're they're just known as the party that always like gets in so much trouble for their political scandals. So that's yeah, that's generally what happens. It doesn't really flip very often. Trudeau's been in power for about seven or eight years now. Yeah. So this seems like it's a predictable thing. So if uh, yeah. Pierre would become the next prime minister, do you think that his his proposed policies and changes are viable and would actually be able to be executed? See, that's the that's the tough thing, right? Because we don't really know what Pierre Polyev's policy proposals are, other than his really weird stuff that he gets to shore up, you know, certain communities' votes. Um, I don't think he's actually going to fire the Bank of Canada governor. He's going to like go out there and be like, oh, I'm going to metaphorically fire him. I'm just going to change his mandate or some shit like that, you know? Um, I don't think he's going to do that. And I don't think he really cares about crypto or believes anything he's saying about crypto. Um, but I, I think that a lot of his policies are just generic conservative economic policies, like, you know, cut taxes and lower spending. Um You know, especially after years of, of like deficits and things like that, maybe Canadians are like, you know what, maybe it is time for a little more restraint and 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 things like that. I think I think he can I think I don't think he'd be the worst prime minister ever, but I don't know. He'd have to definitely change his character a lot to be, in my opinion, like prime ministerial. Yeah, definitely. Well, it will be interesting to see how everything 
follows in, in Canadian politics. And thank you so much for telling me about it. Yeah, definitely. I'll keep everyone updated. So that is a wrap, you guys. This is the end of our rant episode. We really hope you enjoyed it and it was convenient for you to listen to a shorter episode. Uh, we hope you learned a lot about the monarchy and Pierre Polyver. Uh, and we will see you all next week with a new episode. As always, follow us on social media. We recently had a TikTok blow up. You can find us on all social medias at Wake Up Call Podcast. Um, yeah. All right. We'll see you next week.